right now we are celebrating Yom Atzmaut, and this is a week of, of celebration, obviously a week of contemplation and of connecting with those uh, brave soldiers, young men and women uh, who gave their lives so that we could have our state. Uh, but now we've moved into the celebration of Yom Atzmaut, and Yom Atzmaut always comes around this time of year, uh, meaning it always comes around this time of Parshiot, of Achrimot and Kedoshim. And um, <clears throat> parenthetically, I'll just tell you this story, uh, that uh, many years ago, my parents, Michelle, used to, from time to time, lead tours in Israel. And um, one time when I was in Yeshiva, I went up to Lod, that's what we used to call it, to meet the plane um, and, uh, and catch a ride with them on the bus to spend a little time with my folks and catch the ride to Shalayim, and then turned right around and went back to Yeshiva, but had a chance to, to spend some time with them on the bus. And they that particular tour, I mean, most of the tours, they brought people who are members of their shul. And so these are people who knew me as a kid. So it's kind of nice for me to see them as a young adult learning in Yeshiva and to meet up with them. And there was a fellow uh, who I sat next to who was my parents' closest friend. He and his wife my parents' closest friends. He was a guy who had done tremendous uh, amount of philanthropy on behalf of the Jewish community, both in Israel and in L.A. If I had told you his name, you'd probably recognize it. Though you might not, but L.A. people would. <clears throat> but uh, I was very surprised to find when I got on the bus and I sat next to him that he had never been in Israel in his whole life. He was a man probably in his 70s by the time. Never been in Israel. And this is his first time. And as we rode up road, Route 1, 443 was not an option back then. Road up route, route road one, and there's the old road one before all of the expansion of the road, modernizing, you know, the curvy old road. Um, along the way, my father on the microphone was pointing out a lot of things that you saw on the way, and a number of them were memorials, past Latrun and Malayachanisha, and all sorts of other memorials. And this fellow turned to me and said, Well, it looks like this whole country is a bunch of graveyards and, and memorials. So I said, Actually, it's a, uh, a modern society built on ruins. It is burgeoning life built on graveyards. And he looked at me and said, what do you mean? I said, this week we're reading Parashat, that year, Achrimot and Kedoshim together. And uh, he wasn't familiar with that. He didn't know what Achrimot meant, didn't know what Kedoshim meant, had to start from the beginning. And I said, Achrimot, if you think about the title of it, celebrates sanctity achieved through death. And Kedoshim celebrates sanctity achieved through life. And that's exactly what the state is. It sanctifies the past, but it doesn't rest on the past. It builds forward. And the sanctity, Kedushat HaChayim, is what we're all about. He kind of liked that. So I've always been attracted to the connection between Achrimot and Kedoshim, those ideas, uh, as being somehow associated with uh, with the amazing enterprise of the modern state of Israel. But then if you take a look at uh, at the parasha, and not really the parasha, but the intersection of the parasha, you'll see something interesting happen. Now you take a look at parasha Achrimot and then at parasha Kedoshim, and both in Chutzlarts and in Israel, we're reading them separately this year, or read them separately this year. Uh, you'll notice that the second half of Achrimot is devoted, the, the, the third third of Achrimot is devoted to the Arayot, 
And the Ariot is then dropped. And then there's a whole chapter, the first half of Parshat Kedoshim, which has nothing to do with, except for one tangential mention, sort of, of Ariot. And then the Ariot come back in full force for the second half of Kedoshim with all of the punishments. You wonder kind of why things are separated that way and why they're separated at all. Why not just present the Ariot? And with each Arab, I'll say, and here's the punishment. Instead, you have the whole list of, of the code of what to avoid and uh, who to avoid, basically. And then a whole, after a whole chapter, there's the direction to the Beitin, which is this is how you deal with somebody who violates these, these things. So normally, we, we, all, we all suffer, and Akhir Mokidoshim actually helps us with this sometimes when it's combined, but we all suffer from what a teacher of mine refers to as the Cholent Syndrome. The Cholent Syndrome is you hear the Parsha in the morning, you go home, you have Kiddush, you have Cholent, take a nice nap, you come back, and from Mincha, you start reading the next Parsha, and you don't necessarily connect the two. This year we have that problem, on the day after Pesach back home, you read Achrimot in the morning, and the afternoon read Kedoshim. We did the same thing a week later here in Chutzlart. Uh, But if you ignore that split, ignore that separation, drop that cholent, and look at the end of Achrimot and the beginning of Kedoshim, you'll see an interesting continuity. The first part of Vayikra, all the way up till Perak Yudchet, the first 17 chapters of Aikra are devoted to the Mishkan. That's something we talked about four years ago during Pasha Kedoshim. They're devoted to the Mishkan. Here's how you approach the Mishkan. And here's who may not approach the Mishkan. And here's the consequences for approaching the Mishkan when you're Tameh. And here is how the Mishkan is cleansed when it has become Tameh. That's Yom Kippur. And here is the exclusivity of the Mishkan, which was chapter 17, which is not to offer korbanot elsewhere. And then suddenly there's a shift. And I believe that this shift speaks to Yom Atzmaut in very clear terms. Step back for a second before we get into the parsha, and I'll make the following observation. We celebrate Atzmaut tonight, today. We celebrate Atzmaut as a tremendous gift. It is a great gift. It is a great chesed Hashem. After all these years, we've been given independence and sovereignty in our own land. But Atzmaut, of course, is also awesome responsibility. And it's very easy to see, going back to Chumash, that there are many people who are afraid of that responsibility. That's what happened in the Midbar. We don't want to be sovereign in a land. We'd rather be nomads or we'd rather be slaves. Sovereignty and control over the land brings awesome responsibilities for creating a society which can thrive, which can succeed, and which can establish a permanent existence, and not only existence, but a permanent beacon for the rest of the world in that land. And so after the Torah presents to us the sanctity of the Mishkan and all of the parameters and the contours of that, there's a shift. So I'd like to take a look at the shift that happens here as sort of an introduction to Parshat Kedoshim. Now, you don't need to look any further than to tell this is a brand new statement, and it's the beginning of something grand and powerful. That introduction is evocative of the Aserat Tadibrot. What is it you should tell, Hashem, tell the people? Okay, so this is very big. 
And what's the first lesson you're supposed to get? And by the way, this is people who right now are camped at Har Sinai. Moshe is in the Mishkan getting these mitzvot. And they are very quickly going to pull up stakes and march into the land, conquer the land and set up the, and set up living in the land. There's no 40 years. There's no miraculous. It's all in the future. And what's the first statement said to these people now that we're talking to the people as a people, as opposed to the people around the Mishkan? First thing, forget everything you learned in Egypt. Whatever you learned from being in Egypt, do the opposite. It means forget it in the sense of remember it and remember to avoid it. But that's not enough. But don't imitate the land you're coming to. Now, that sounds like it glorifies the desert. It doesn't. It doesn't say that everything between Mitzrayim and Canaan is good. You were in Mitzrayim for several generations. You learned certain behaviors from them. You saw certain behaviors. You saw what certain rulers do with their slaves. You saw what certain people do with their family members, etc. Erase that. That's not what you're going to do. And you're coming to Canaan. Don't take the opposite approach, which is to say, now that I'm entering this land, it's time for me to accept the behaviors of this land. Uh-uh. Don't follow in their laws. Don't imitate their practices. Rather, at my laws, meaning I'm giving you a new law. We're in the middle of that law. You've already heard some of it. You're getting more of it. And these are the laws that you're supposed to follow. Again, that signature. And here's the promise. Now, is both a command and a promise. These are the laws you're supposed to follow, and you're supposed to live by them. Read differently, these are the laws you're supposed to follow, and therefore you will live. And again, again, that signature. And what then comes immediately? The core is the sanctity of the family and the holiness of sexual morality. That's the core of your success in this land. Don't follow the abominable behavior that you saw in Egypt, pharaohs marrying their own sisters and their own daughters. Don't follow the practices that you're going to encounter in Canaan, but rather you maintain this level of morality. And then the whole list of our is there, including homosexuality and bestiality and Moloch and everything else that's involved. At the end of that list, watch what it says. Al-titam u'v'chol e'la. Do not become defiled with any of these things. Why? What's the argument? The argument which started out as, you should follow my laws, becomes now a very practical argument, which is, all the nations that I'm sending out, how do you think you're going to win this war? I'm going to help you defeat them. Why do they deserve to be exiled? Because they became defiled. And what happened as a result of them becoming defiled? And this is such a powerful statement about the Kesher between Am and Aretz, the connection between the people and our land. The people became defiled, so the land became defiled. And what happened? I then exacted for that punishment, for that sin. The land vomited up its inhabitants. In other words, you're going to come to a land and you're suddenly going to see Yergashim already running away. 
You're going to see everybody in Yericho scared. You're going to be, you're going to see these kings getting together and then running for their lives and hiding out in caves. I'm just summarizing say for Yeshua here. You're going to see a land, a, a, a bulldozer running through. Now that's not the full story, but that's most of the story. How do you think that happens? You are vagabonds. You're a slave nation. And you're going to walk in and you're going to steamroll over them because I'm going to send them out. And why am I going to send them out? Oh, we already heard this a brief bit on a train because now their sins are complete. They have defiled the land. They can't be in the land anymore. But that's a signal warning. That's, again, the gift and the responsibility. <clears throat> and so what happened? And here's that motivation. Don't do all of these terrible things. None of you should behave this way. Even the strangers. You got to make sure the strangers who are outsiders who are joining you, they also live up to this morality because otherwise they will defile the camp, the people, and the land. And then you will be thrown out. This is what the people before you did. And they got thrown, and, and the land got defiled. So don't make sure the land doesn't throw you out because you defile it. It's a very simple uh, demonstration. Look at the people who are there before you. Why do you think they're getting thrown out? Because of their behavior. Don't imitate their behavior. And now watch what happens. Now notice I put it in different color for the following reason. Hashem right now is addressing Am Yisrael on two planes. He's addressing Am Yisrael on the individual plane and on the national plane. On the national plane, if you as a nation, if you as a culture, adopt the local cultures of the pagan people here, or decide to carry with you the, the cultures that you grew up in and your parents grew up in Egypt and decide to adopt them because now you're the overlords, you as a people will be thrown out. Then I speak to the individuals. Any individual, look at the language, call asher ya'aseh, any individual who does this will be cut off from his nation. Now, karet, that punishment of karet, which we already encountered back in Breshit with Brit Milah, is one that Chachamim are divided on what it means. Doesn't mean you die by a certain age. Doesn't mean you die childless. Doesn't mean you have no chelik in Olam Habad. The simple pshat of karet is you're cut off from the people. And it makes a lot of sense. Here's somebody among us, part of our nation, who is threatening our existence because he or she is behaving in a way that defiles the land and threatens our existence, our national existence. They got to be thrown out. They are excised from the people whether it's HaKadosh Baruch Hu cutting them out or we're cutting them out. So that's speaking to the individual. So if you have individuals who behave this way, they got to be sent out. If the nation behaves this way, the nation will be sent out of the land. And then it ends with, mishparti, you guard what I've given you to guard. Don't do the disgusting things that were done before you. And now we shift from this emphasis on the threat and the very pragmatic motivation to not do this, these be things, because look what happened to the people before you. And suddenly, at the very last moment, the shift moves up. Don't you become defiled. Why? And again, that signature. I am Hashem, your God. We got a relationship. 
Let's honor that relationship. Let's raise who we are to be worthy of that relationship. So we've moved up. And the very next pasuk, post-Cholent again, Suddenly, Hashem is now telling Moshe, you've got to gather everybody for this. And if you take a look at the Sifra, at, in footnote one here at the bottom, The Torah Konim points out, this parasha, this Kedoshim to you, was said with everybody there, Hakel. The Sifra goes on, why? Because most of the essentials of the Torah are in this parsha. This is it. So now, think about what's happened so far. What, what do we imagine when it says Daber Bnei Yisrael? So we imagine that it seems says this clearly, but we, we, we imagine is Moshe speaking to the heads of the tribes and the heads of the families, and then they go on and parlay the message further. That was what we had till now. Suddenly, Moshe is told to bring everybody together, and this is a public announcement. There are very few public announcements in all of Torah. There are very few places where it's called Adat B'nai Yisrael. The building of the Mishkan is one. Take a look. The Abero called Adat B'nai Yisrael Martalehem Kedoshim Tihiyu. Now, what is this statement, Kedoshim Tihiyu? So I'm going to take a page from the Ramban, the very famous commentary of the Ramban here, who says that Kedoshim Tihiyu is telling you within the, within the structure of the law, sanctify yourself. Take that which is permitted to you and be holy even in that. Which means we're now moving things up. We're saying, okay, first of all, you've got to avoid all those terrible behaviors. The land will throw you out. And now without that threat, without that hangover, because you're past that, let's raise things up even higher. But let's see why. And then there's a list of laws. We've gone through this several, in several times. In several years, we've looked at the list and the sequence of the laws that are here. We'll look at them sort of a broader look in, in a few minutes. But these laws all speak to the kind of the fundamentals of setting up a good society. But watch the level that it's supposed to get to. The level that it's supposed to get to from don't, uh, from don't cheat and don't lie moves to, and this is something we talked about last week, picking up here in Tetvav, proper justice, and then not being a talebearer. Don't stand by while idly by while your friend is bleeding. Don't hate a fellow in the heart. Rather, we talked about this last week. Rather, rebuke him, tell him what's bothering you. Don't take vengeance. Don't bear a grudge. That's kind of the end of that series. Which means, by the way, Akarosh Baruch Hu now is turning the volume way up. It started out as, listen, I'm bringing it to the land, don't mess it up. You see how they messed it up, don't you mess it up. And that's very broad statements. And it talks about essential things, about sexual morality and about idolatry. And then suddenly there's a call to be even better than that. Because what is it that we're supposed to be doing? We're not just coming to a land we're not just coming back to a land after 2,000 years in order to not get thrown out. We're not just coming to a land to establish a society that can't be destroyed. We're coming to a land to establish a holy society, a society which ultimately is supposed to inspire the entire world to come around to learn from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's our goal. That's our job. 
says, okay, so the first step is don't mess it up. Okay, now that we've got that taken care of, let's get everybody together and tell you this is how you need to behave. So I want to take just a couple little pieces from here. Beautiful comment of Sha'an Shadal on the significance in, in Pasuk, Hey, Vav, and Zion talks about the law of Pigol. It's a so weird thing. We're talking about grand things like Shabbat and honoring parents, and suddenly the law of Pigol, which is that if you bring a korban, you cannot eat it past its time. So what, what's, what's that doing here? So Shadal has a great, a great insight here. He says, think about this. A person brings a korban todah. Let's say I brought a korban todah. Dovi brings it in the morning. Dovi comes to Shalim, brings his korban todah, which is a cow, let's say, with 40 loaves. So four of the loaves go to the koanim. In the meantime, we've got a whole cow, which he's bringing because he's thanking God for atzma'ut, or he's thanking God for a family simcha or something. Now, how long do you have to eat that cow and those loaves? Till the end of that day. That's it. How do you do that? So Shadal says very simply. You invite a million people over to your place in your shalayim that you're renting or you're borrowing, not renting, and you invite them all over. Invite all the poor people over. Everybody come and eat. You have to finish that korban that day. And by definition, that means you've got to expand your table to include everybody. And then, of course, you get up and you tell them, we're doing this because of the great chesed Hashem had to give us X, Y, and Z, or to give us a state. And so this, this notion that our religious behavior, our spiritual behavior, our relationship with God is inextricably tied up with how we treat each other and how we take care of each other and how we don't leave anybody behind is already built into the halakha here. When you harvest, leave the, the pieces that drop. Don't clear cut your field. Leave it for the poor. It's all built into the system. And it climaxes seemingly with the statement that ultimately you have to treat the other person like you want them to treat you, which is a very nice bumper sticker. It's a great uh, poster. It's a nice piece of art. It's a great song. It's really hard to internalize. And yet that's the demand. Like I said, atzma'ut is a blessing. Atzma'ut is far more intense as a responsibility and as, a, and as an ongoing challenge to live up to. So before looking at the end of, of the piece in Vayikra, I want to draw your attention to a couple other psukim. Jumping way ahead in history, the experiment that we will call settling the land of Israel, which succeeded for a while, ultimately failed. First, the kingdom split, and then a couple hundred years later, the northern kingdom was taken captive and finished. And 150 years later, the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Yehuda, was destroyed. The Jews were taken off to Babel. They ran away to Egypt. Some of them remained, and ultimately they ended up in Babel. And less than 50 years later, things turn around. The Babylonians are defeated. The Jews are allowed to return, and they return. They don't return in big numbers, but they return. And what's the question that's on their minds? The question on their minds, Zechariah Zion is, should we continue mourning during the month of Av? 
The Beit HaMikdash is destroyed. Yeah, we're building a new Beit HaMikdash. It's already been rebuilt. It's, we're now dedicating it, but do we continue to mourn? You know what Zechariah's answer to them is? Normally, with a question like that, you have two answers, which is yes or no. You know what Zechariah's answer to them is? A very long answer. The answer is you're asking the wrong question. I'm not going to answer your question. You want to fast? Fast. You don't want to fast? Don't fast. That's not the question. You know what the question is? Have you paid attention to what caused the destruction, and are you going to fix it? And now watch his powerful words here in source two. This is what God says. Just as I conspired to harm you, when your ancestors angered me, and I didn't back off, I punished you. Now I've conspired in these days to help and to improve Yerushalayim and Yehuda. Don't be afraid. It's going to be good. And watch what he says. This is what you've got to do. This is the society you've got to build. Speak honestly with each other. Speak honestly with each other, which works on several planes. The first plane it works out is business, business ethics. But on a much more common plane, it is be honest with each other. Remember, we talked about this last week. You have upsetness with somebody, don't keep it in and find the proper way to express it to them so you can heal that rift. That's what you need to have. Which you might think are two opposite ideas, truth and peace. But you have to seek truth, but you have to do it in a way of peace. And that's how you have to judge. You, the judges, are responsible for making sure that true justice is acquired, but in a peaceful way. Don't conspire about somebody else. Don't be thinking how you can hurt somebody else. Don't be so in love with lying under oath. In other words, these are problems that they have. These are, these are the things that God hates. In other words, you want to be successful in this second go-around, this rebuilding? You have to do one thing, which is fix what was broken that caused the destruction, caused the failure of the first, of the first, uh, of the first event. And so now we roll ahead to Chazal. And Chazal pick up on a pasuk in Yumiyahu. And Rava has a famous statement, which is, Lo charva Yushalayim. And now he's talking about the second time around. And you ask the average person on the street, why was Yushalayim destroyed in the year 70? They will tell you without batting an eyelash, Sinat Chinam. But through this, Chazal give lots of different explanations for the destruction of Yushalayim. And one of them, Rava's here, is there was a, an, a, 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 a no more Baalei Amana. You could not find any Honest people, trustworthy people. People, when they said something, they were good for their word. Building a proper society, a holy society, not only a society that can persevere, but that can thrive. Not only a society that can survive, but a society that can inform the rest of the world and enlighten the rest of the world and be that beacon that Yeshayahu talks about in Perak Bed and Micha talks about in Perak Dalad. In order to build that society, this is what you need. You need people who are honest with each other, who are caring for each other, and then that needs to build out to become what the definition of the society is. Now, let's take a look at Parshat Kedoshim, the first chapter of Parshat Kedoshim, schematically. 
If you take a look at it here, you see, again, the signal announcement, several times punctuated with other additions. But you see that this entire piece is made up of two halves with a middle. The first half speaks to right? you have to free your parents, keep Shabbat, then Abu Dazara, and then the thing we talked about, Pigol. And then it moves it up. It moves it up, not to be stealing, not to be taking false oaths, not to be cheating people. And then how to treat another fellow who is maybe disadvantaged, and then how to have proper justice. And then, of course, the crescendo, which is not to hate somebody else, etc. We then look at this thing back up. And you see, um, and you see here that um, that the that the text now addresses when you come to the land, how you treat the land, how you how you have to avoid again pagan practices. These are things that are all lined up. How you have to be careful not to adopt the the Canaanite practices. Again, this warning, again a warning against these practices. But again, how we have to treat the disadvantaged. The elderly, right? The stranger, the poor, the one who's disadvantaged in business. We have to always keep an eye out for that. And sitting in the middle is this bizarre prohibition about at Chukotaiti Shmaru, which prohibits shatnez and crossbreeding. And what is that doing there? So, one last point. There's an old joke that the doesn't work in English. But when the teacher comes into Kita Aleph on the first day and says, Bereshit bara Elohim the first pasuk in the Torah, one kid raises his hand and says, Translated, it don't work too well. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the land. The land, of course, is the land of Israel. And the kid says, so who created the rest of the world? Right? Now, we, of course, don't, don't understand Haaretz that way. And yet, there's something very powerful going on in this pasuk. At the crescendo of the Haftarach HaKamoch is followed by this very seemingly tangential and relatively minor series of prohibitions about crossbreeding and, and, and shotness and cross-planting and shotness. What, what is doing? What's happening there? But look at the opening words. At chukotai tishmoru. Keep my chukim. Now what are chukim? Chukim, very simply put, in the Tanakh means hardwired laws. Yirmiyahu talks about chukot shamayim va'aretz. The laws of heaven and earth. In modern Hebrew we talk about chukeyotava. Right? The laws of nature. Laws of physics. At chukotai tishmoru. God says you maintain my hardwired things. Which is what? Don't crossbreed and cross-plant and cross-mixing and cross mixing, uh, wool and linen. What does that mean? It means that God created the world. And if you look at the first chapter of Breshit, you can see God created the world with very clear divisions, very clear distinctions. Every day is marked with vayavdel, between heaven and, and between the waters above and the waters below, light and dark, the water and the land, the sun and the moon, day and night, these birds, these fish, everything, everything is divided and distinct. Your job is to maintain God's world, to adorn God's world, 
to fill God's world and to respect God's world. So this becomes then the banner statement of purpose. Your job with this holy society in this holy land is not only, A, don't defile it and get thrown out. B, don't create a treacherous society of people who maybe stick to the sexual morality and don't do Abu Dazara, but treat each other terribly. Don't build up a society in which people look away from each other and don't care about each other. We just had a, 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 a tekes for Yom Zikaron, and they showed footage of uh, Michael Levin's funeral. And then they showed footage of Max Steinberg's funeral. I think there are 30,000 people came to Max, Stein, Max Steinberg's funeral, a kid from Woodland Hills. That's what happens in Israel. Everybody's tied together. Everybody's connected to each other. We don't walk past each other and, and ignore each other. But not only that, and not only to build a society in which individuals are honest with each other and are aiming to build a society in which we care for each other and we care for the other as we want them to care for us, but we also see our job as at Chukotai Tishmaru. Not just to keep God's laws, but to keep God's chukim, meaning the chukim that God set up in this world are chukim that we need to maintain and to respect. And then we end up with the signal, with the banner statement at the end, Ushmartemet kol chukotavit kol mishpatai vasitemotam. And then on the Hashem. And so the purpose of our coming into the land under Yoshua, our returning to land under Zubavel, and our returning into the land starting 150 years ago. Our purpose is to build a society that can reflect on Yashem. And there, the steps are presented at the end of Achrimot and the beginning of Kedoshim. The steps needed for us to succeed in maintaining our presence, to succeed in holding our presence, to succeed in thriving our presence, and then ultimately to succeed in announcing God's presence, are all laid out for us here. Yom Atzmaut, again, is a day of tremendous simcha, tremendous gratitude to Hashem for this unbelievable gift that our generation somehow was zochet to be part of. And the striving that the rest of us have, of course, to get home and, and realize that dream. But it also carries with it an awesome responsibility of what we need to do in order to be worthy of that gift and to make sure that that gift is something not only that we hold on, that we're able to hold on to forever, but that we're able to achieve its ultimate purpose, which is the Kadesh Hashem Shamayim and to make Akorosh Baruch Hu Shechina manifest in the whole world. Chagat Smoke Sameach to everybody.